0: This week on Geek Explain, we're kicking off volume two of the podcast with the top five comics that you should be reading in 2019. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host Eric Kazana, and welcome to Volume Two of the Geek Explain podcast. We have officially crossed the one-year mark, and uh, now we are rolling on to year two. So uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you for sticking with us this first year. Uh, it was a big year for us. We really uh, got the podcast off the ground. Uh, Started out as just like a little podcast uh, on SoundCloud that I didn't really know what was going to happen with. And now we are on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio. And uh, we are officially uh, kind of making our way. We're officially on the road, on the podcast journey because we... This past weekend, including our uh, one-year anniversary episode, which covered Kingdom Hearts 3, we have officially passed 3,000 listeners. So, um, that's huge for me. That's <laughs> that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. So I'm really excited. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, listen to me just rant about my opinions towards you. So, um... In the spirit of it being a full year since we began, I figured the first uh, episode of our volume two of our second year should echo the very first episode of the podcast. If you haven't gone back yet, I myself have not listened to that first episode in a very long time, but um, it was the top five comics that you should be reading, and I figured we did that for last year, and to kick off this new year for the podcast, we'll do it again. We'll make it a yearly thing. We'll kick off every volume with the comics that I think you should be picking up. So this episode is the top five comics that you should be reading in 2019. Uh, I've got my list right here. I'm going to be talking about, uh, I'm going to be giving you the title, the synopsis of each book, uh, and kind of what I think is great about it and why I think it is uh, on the list. This is a numbered list. This isn't a, uh, a worst to best. I don't think any of these are bad. They're on my top five, so I think they're Uh, great things about every single book and I definitely think that you should be uh, picking if not one of these all of these up (laughs) so uh, before we get into the list I just wanted to talk about a bit of comic book news I'm going to try to be integrating more comic book news into every episode just because things happen and sometimes they slip by me or sometimes they're not A big enough uh, story for me to commit an entire episode to it so I'm going to try to um, put out more comic book news at the front end of the episodes before we jump into kind of the main meat of the episode itself so I got a couple things here Uh, not a whole lot it was uh, for once kind of a quiet uh, quiet weekend for comic books but there were two big news stories. Uh, First of all, Captain Marvel released this past week. If you haven't checked out our Geeksplain Extra that reviewed the film, go ahead and check that out. Uh, It's about 30 minutes or so. I talk about what I liked about the film, what I think could have been improved, how much I loved the soundtrack, and uh, it is a spoiler-filled review, so definitely Either wait until you've seen the film to listen to it, or if you don't care about spoilers, feel free to jump right in. But uh, big news for Captain Marvel: it had a fantastic opening weekend, making 153 million dollars uh, domestic in the U.S. for a 455 million global opening weekend. So that's all around the world. And that's big. That is the biggest opening for a female-led superhero film. Uh, I want to say it's the sixth or seventh biggest opening for an MCU film. And it is the top, uh, I want I think it's, I saw somewhere, the top uh, female-led and female-directed film of all time for the opening box office. So it's really great for the film. I'm really excited for Brie Larson, the whole team behind it. Um, and it's just, it's really cool. Cause there was a lot of stuff going into it, a lot of controversy and politics going back and forth from both sides. So I'm glad that the film as a, uh, as a separate entity was able to succeed on its own. So there's that. And then on the DC side, we, have a casting announcement that was just made uh, earlier this week, I want to say, and it is that Titans, the uh, live-action Titans show on DC Universe, has found its Deathstroke. Deathstroke, of course, a classic Titans villain, may be the greatest villain in the history of the Titans and Teen Titans teams. And Deathstroke was fantastically played by manu bennett in arrow and i personally was a huge fan of that iteration of the character of that version because it for me was just different enough to differentiate it from every other uh deathstroke kind of variety or a variation that had come before it and then we saw at the uh In the post-credits scene of Justice League, uh, Deathstroke kinda being revealed with Joe Manganiello playing him, but now with all of the shakeups over at DC, who knows where that's gonna go and if that's ever gonna be uh, revisited. But for Titans, the show that I finally caught up on on the DC Universe app, They have found their Deathstroke, and he will be played by Isai Morales. I don't know if that's how you say his first name. If it's not, I apologize. But um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting choice. Uh, They seem to be going with a more uh, Hispanic version of the character, and we saw previously that they are kind of looking for hispanic to mixed ethnicity for uh certain casting calls that teased both deathstroke as well as his son jericho so i'm interested to see who ends up getting cast for jericho and if they expand to like rose wilson uh if they go off of the uh the brother to them i'm forgetting his name right now um But I think it's interesting. I'm not super familiar with Asai Morales. Um, I know that he has been in the game for a while, and I'm glad that they went with an actor who has, has some miles on him. Because I think the whole appeal to Deathstroke for a lot of people is that he's kind of that old man Clint Eastwood badass that can move like Captain America. So I'm interested to see where they go with it what they do with this version of the character and uh what kind of uh what inspirations are going to draw for him because we saw in titans they drew a lot from the new 52 which you know is as divisive i think as you get when it comes to comics so i'm interested to see if they go uh more towards that if they lean more towards the arkham games such as uh arrow kind of started to with uh Deathstroke or if they go you know even further back to the Judas contract and stuff like that so yeah that's it for the pressing comic book news right now and let's go ahead and jump over to the main part of this episode which is the top five comics that you should be reading in 2019 and at number five I have Young Justice Young Justice, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Patrick Gleason, is kind of leading the way with the new Wonder Comics imprint that DC has been putting out. Sort of targeting uh, younger readers, I would say. It's not like a, um, it's not like comics for kids, but it is more of a youthful uh, initiative, kind of similar to the Young Animal line, but not as weird. So they've got books like uh, Young Justice, they've got books like Naomi, uh, the Wonder Twins have made their return from the old uh, Super Friends show. So it's interesting, but uh, we'll jump into the synopsis, and then I'll kind of go through my bullet points on it. Superboy, Wonder Girl, Robin, Impulse, Amethyst. When the nightmare dimension known as Gemworld invades Metropolis, these teen heroes reunite to deal with the situation. But they're shocked to discover the battle may be the key to the return of Connor Kent, a.k.a. Superboy. So what I've liked, we've only gotten uh, three issues of it so far, but what I like the most about it is that it's fun. It's fun. You get to see this youthful energy that I know we don't often get to see with DC, especially nowadays. But um, it's a lot of fun to read. And seeing these characters, uh, Tim Drake, Robin, interacting with Bart Allen Impulse. Bart Allen just came back into the comics. Uh, Getting their relationships and their banter really makes the dialogue and the characters feel more alive and upbeat. Uh, We also get to see the return of the classic... Uh, Young Justice team, or at least part of it, with uh, Superboy, Robin, and Impulse, and a little bit of uh, Cassie Sands, Mark, Wonder Girl thrown in there for good measure, too. And what I like about it is that there's continuity. We're finally, ever since uh, new, the new 52 happened, uh, we really went away from a lot of the classic continuity, a lot of the stuff that, you know, a lot of people had really come to love and enjoy about. DC Comics was wiped away in favor of kind of a hard reboot to bring in new readers. And with the Rebirth Initiative going f- through, and wherever that is now, um, we've been seeing a lot more of the former continuity starting to leak in. Uh, we've been getting hits at the JSA, the Legion of Superheroes, and here with uh, Bart Allen seemingly not knowing exactly what's going on, popping up. And then when issue number three, we get to uh, see the pre-New 52 Connor Kent back in action and kind of find out what happened to him. But it's really interesting. I really enjoy it. You get to see the continuity of these kids who remember being part of this team. Now, that's all well and good for uh, Bart and Connor. For Cassie and Tim, it's a little bit more... Um, I would say it's a little bit more tricky, because we don't really technically know exactly what they remember about their former team, because at the start of the New 52, Tim Drake and Cassie Sandsmark were part of the new Team Titans team, but that Cassie Sandsmark seems a wide uh, departure from the Cassie that we're getting now, who reflects the former uh, pre-New 52 version, and Tim Drake has been through a lot. (laughs) through uh new 52 especially through new through uh rebirth with his detective comics run um he's been through a lot i'm interested to see the last time connor was brought up to him we saw during the uh teen titans and super sons crossover that the uh, titans of tomorrow are still a thing we don't know if it's an alternate future or if it's supposed to be this future and uh Tim had no idea who Connor was. Had no idea. So I'm interested to see if he recognizes uh, Connor when he does see him. So... Again, just getting the kind of teen aspect, the teen energy that you would get out of this story is a lot of fun, and I definitely think you should pick it up. Uh, The next issue is going to be issue number four, and that drops on April 3rd, so uh, three weeks away. Definitely pick that up. It's a lot of fun, and it gives you a little bit of time to catch up on the first three issues as well. Number four is Heroes in Crisis written by Tom King with art by Clayman and Mitch Jarrods with a little bit of Lee Weeks here and there as well. This is probably the most polarizing comic book out right now. You've got people who hate it. You've got people who love it. There are people all along the spectrum, and it is consistently one of the books that gets the most popular most people talking about it, the most uh, people picking it up, if, not, if nothing else than just to see how they explain a lot of the stuff that happens. So uh, we'll jump into the synopsis right here. Welcome to Sanctuary, an ultra-secret hospital for superheroes who have been traumatized by crime-fighting and cosmic combat. But something goes inexplicably wrong when many patients wind up dead, with two well-known operators as the prime suspects, Harley Quinn and Booster Gold. So this series is packed. This series is heavy. This series is very heavy-handed when it comes to darkness and the grit factor that we see in shows like titans um, and a lot of dc adaptations the most recent trailer for the harley quinn cartoon even kind of pokes fun at it where poison ivy who both her and harley quinn kind of break the fourth wall talks about you know i thought our show was supposed to be you know dark and gritty and hopeless you know like a dc thing so this is the prime example if you want to look at dc Uh, kind of resembling what people think about it, both in its live action as well as its comic books. But what I really like about this is that it shows the emotional and mental toll that the superhero community uh, has to go through when you live this life. Mental health is a big topic and a very prominent and uh, important topic in today's landscape. And I think a comic book that deals with it, because comic books have always been you know part of the times they've always reflected the times that uh they transpire in and with this i think it came at the right time with heroes who have gone through a lot a lot of trauma a lot of loss needing time to be away and to not just uh Process all of it, but also to find a way to move past it and move on with their lives. Uh, this book also shines a spotlight on lesser-known heroes and relationships of those heroes, as well as a couple villains as well. Uh, Poison Ivy and Harley have got in the last issue. It was a lot was devoted to their relationship and how damaged they are, and how they uh, fit in together. We also get. Uh, talking about lesser-known characters like Gnark. Uh, We talk about Blue Jay, Sunspot. Like, these characters who these days are kind of known as obscure are characters that are kind of pushed to the forefront in this book, and I like that. This also shines a big spotlight, speaking of Harley, on both her and Booster Gold. Booster Gold has been uh, something of a nomad when it comes to the comics universe. Uh he has ever since the new 52 things have been weird with him because there was a point in the new 52 where there were two Booster Golds running around, one of the past continuity, one of this continuity, and then both of them were gone and now um Booster Gold popped up again in Tom King's run of Batman in a really dark story leading up to the uh eventual 50th issue with the non-wedding and he suffered a lot in those issues with tom king so we get to see him processing all of that and being able to kind of deal with how much self-loathing he has and again the as you heard in the synopsis the two main suspects are harley quinn and booster gold so it's a deep dive on both of those characters we also get a lot of continuity we get a lot of continuity just like the previous pick my big thing is uh celebrating the full history of dc comics whether it's pre new 52 silver age bronze age gold age uh, new 52 having all of that kind of matter is important to me as a reader and as someone who is an enthusiast for dc comics And getting continuity, like talking about Lagoon Boy and the stuff that he suffered through, which was very prominent in the Teen Titans and Young Justice books prior to the New 52, but really hasn't gotten any kind of play. We also see Citizen Steel. We see certain characters who you've seen go through hardships. And you get to find out, oh yeah, they didn't just get up and keep going, this affected them. Uh, Roy Harper, one of my favorite characters, is a messed up dude, and you get to see him dealing with all of his trauma. And it really, one big thing, I think the biggest thing about this book is it evokes an emotion in the reader. And when you can have a work of art, a piece of fiction, affect you emotionally... Whether it's reading through a novel, whether you are struck with emotion by looking at a piece of art, or you are picking up a comic book every month, dreading it but needing to get answers, this book has that. This book makes you think, it makes you feel, it makes you care about characters that... Yes, some of them you may have had prior connections to. Wally West, uh, Roy Harper, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Booster Gold. But there are other characters that you really get to sympathize with who you might not have not just had a connection to, but even heard of before. So it's, it's really interesting. It really gives you a deep, dark look at the emotional and mental toll that the superheroics takes on people and i it it's a big recommendation for me um i don't uh agree with all of the narrative choices for it and that's why it's not higher up on the list but it's also a book that i am slowly coming around to looking at as a full picture rather than issue by issue so i think if you take it all especially now now that there are six issues in if you kind of binge read them issue one through issue six it's gonna I think it's gonna be a better read I think this will definitely be a better read once all the issues so there's nine issues in this once they all come out it's um, it's gonna be affecting and it's affecting every issue so I think it's definitely we're slowly making our way into getting the full picture on the story and this uh, again this is a great time to pick up the first six issues Uh, issue number seven is going to be dropped on March 27th so that's next week or not next week but uh, the week after final week of March so that gives you plenty of time number three is spider-man life story and this is the one pick this is the one pick on the list Of books that have not come out yet Um, I really wanted to make the entire list books that are currently going right now but I think once you hear the synopsis once you get the kind of gist of what the book's about I think you'll be as interested as I am in the book so it's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Mark Bagley and here is the synopsis for Spider-Man Life Story In 1962, in Amazing Fantasy number 15, 15 15-year-old Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider and became the Amazing Spider-Man. 57 years have passed in the real world since that event, so what would have happened if that same amount of time passed for Peter as well? So I love that idea. Um, I'm going to jump... I don't want to, like, jump my notes, but uh, I love the idea of really taking a character through the decades and seeing how it affects them. Uh, but first, we have an all-star team on this book. We have Chip Zdarsky, who has become one of the most prolific Spider-Man writers in recent years, and we have Mark Bagley, the critically acclaimed Artist for the original Ultimate Spider Man run, where he, along with Brian Michael Bendis, kind of recontextualized both Peter Parker and what he means to the Marvel Universe in the Ultimate Comics. Um, having them together is incredible. I can't wait to see what they do with it. Uh, this is also, it's kind of promising to introduce smaller personal stories. We're not going to be seeing. Uh, the entirety of the Marvel world through the decades, we're going to be seeing the story of one man, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. We're going to see time pass through his eyes. It seems like decade by decade. And I am super interested to see how that affects him as well as the people around him in his supporting cast. Uh, But the biggest thing that I almost jumped the gun with is that getting a character who has a certain continuity and is able to live through not just years but decades of time with those, char- with those characters, with those stories is a feat that not many comic books try to pull off. The most prominent and the one that I always look to for examples in that is Constantine. So the original Constantine aged in real time through his comic so this original constantine i want to say was conceived in either the mid to late 60s and you saw in his run in hellblazer the original run of hellblazer every year he aged every year he aged so you got to see him in the 80s you got to see him in the 90s you got to see him in the early uh, 2000s having aged through all of those years, and I think that's incredible because you get to see the wear and tear on a hero because a lot of times in comics, not just Marvel Comics, not just DC Comics, just comics in general, characters stay at a certain status quo. There is a certain amount of um, moment in time when it comes to characters. Uh, Tony Stark is always going to be... uh, early to mid-30s and a Playboy. We... Ne- we. Okay, I don't want to say as a complete... Conf- like a complete uh, definitive statement because anything could happen. But I don't personally see Marvel Comics in the main continuity, the 616 main Marvel Prime continuity, us watching Tony get old and retire. I just don't see it because these characters have been you know going at it for years superman 81 years this is the 80th year for detective comics and for um maybe not detective comics but it's the 80th year for batman batman officially hit 80 this year can you imagine 80 year old bruce wayne you know in the main comics right now it'd be ridiculous we would have moved on to other people damian wayne Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, any of his Robins, or someone outside, you know, someone brought in recently like Duke, Duke Thomas, uh, would have taken up the mantle from him, and I love the idea of watching a character age. So, giving uh, Spider-Man, who is perennially the young buck of the Marvel Universe, Giving him the Constantine treatment and watching him age, I think is fascinating. And it's also going to deal with real life events. The series has promised that Spidey is going to, we're going to see real life events happen through Spidey's eyes. We're gonna see potentially the rise and fall of the 80s. We're gonna see uh, presidents sworn in, um, presidents impeached. You know we're gonna see big world events like war. The first issue, the first issue is teasing Flash Thompson getting drafted for Vietnam, and that is going and how that's going to affect uh, Peter Parker's view of the world with the Vietnam War just in general. So I cannot wait. To see this book and I cannot wait for you guys to see this book as well And we're not gonna have to wait for very long because the first issue issue number one comes out next week on the 20th Next week. That's all you got to wait You just got to wait seven days and then we can get this story and I am so so wickedly excited for it for number two we have Thor Written by Jason Aaron with art by Mike Del Mundo. Um, I've got a lot of thoughts on this book, so I'll jump into the synopsis and then we'll go into my, uh, my notes. Thor Odinson has regained his mantle, and with it, a wild new world of trouble on his mighty hands. The artifacts of Asgard have been scattered across the earth, and to reclaim them, Thor will have to face some ugly truths like the production cost of hundreds of new hammers. And the Thunder God is going to need every last one of them. So this is the next chapter, the most recent chapter, the newest chapter in the Jason Aaron Thor saga. Jason Aaron has been writing for Thor for what seems like decades at this point, uh, starting off with uh, Thor God of Thunder, one of my personal favorite thor books of all time uh the first big collection of it the first uh two arcs are some of i think the best thor stories you could ever tell i will stack those up against any other thor story and through jason aaron's stewardship of the thor character and his um and his journey we've seen thor as an Avenger, we've seen Thor become unworthy. We've seen Thor fight for Hydra. We've seen Thor go through the ups and downs. We've seen Thor become a woman when Jane Foster took up the hammer. We've seen the the hammer shattered. We've seen Thor at his lowest point and at his highest point. And I am so excited to continue on with this story because Jason Aaron is writing epic Jason Aaron is writing an Odyssey with Thor at the center and I'm I can't wait every single time this book comes out Uh, this is also a great book this specific run starting with uh, the first run of or the first issue of this specific run uh, is a great jumping on point if you are a fan of the uh, Thor Ragnarok film because Up to this point in the comics, Thor is technically still unworthy. We haven't seen him pick up Mjolnir. Mjolnir uh, itself was destroyed in the uh, most recent events prior to this series starting. Jane Foster is no longer Thor. She has effectively retired her version of the character and is undergoing chemo to treat her cancer. And this book, because Thor... I don't know if he's tried or if he's just scared, but he doesn't want uh, another Mjolnir. He basically is tasking um, Ytri along with the other dwarves in, um, oh, I want to say it's it's Svartalheim. I'm probably wrong but um, with just making him hammers. So the first six issues of this book is uh, just him going through hundreds, literally hundreds of hammers while fighting people because they're either, he swings it like it's a Mjolnir and it hits too hard and it breaks or he with his strength breaks through the, the thing it is so fun watching him just calling in hammers, them dropping out of the sky he breaks it, he calls for another one and it's so interesting because this book also features as kind of a uh, a road story so we see throughout the first arc Thor is traveling the world tracking down the lost uh, artifacts of Asgard and fighting the people who happen upon them as he goes and the second arc involves him jumping into hell, jumping into uh, Niflheim and going after seemingly uh, more artifacts that are being held by the ruler of hell, which isn't who you think it is. So it's a fun book. It's great. Mike Del Mundo's art. I personally think that uh, Ryan Dodderman is the best Thor artist working today. Personally, my personal opinion. But Mike Del Mundo's art, with that as weird and kind of trippy in his perspective, really gives this a new flavor for Jason Aaron's telling of Thor. And it feels like almost feels like a completely different creative team. Because Jason Aaron is very uh he's very good. of the best comic writers out right now but when you are writing a character for as long as he has been writing thor there is the um there is the chance that you kind of tell every story that you need to tell with him and that you kind of start running out of ideas and you your depiction of the character becomes kind of samey but with uh it's not ryan dotterman it's russell dotterman and i'm so sorry uh with russell dotterman Transitioning into the Mike Del Mundo art, uh, it feels like a complete refresher of the character. So definitely pick this up. This is also leading into the big event for Marvel Comics for this year, which is going to be War of the Realms, which sees Jason Aaron reunite with Russell Dodderman to write the main book. There's going to be you know 600 different tie-in issues, like there always is with these big events, but they are going to be writing the main book, and I feel like if you just pick up that book, the main War of the Realms book, as well as Thor, you should have all your bases covered, hopefully. So definitely pick those up. The next issue is issue number 11, which also drops next week, March 20th. So that gives you a little bit of time to pick up and read through all 10 previous issues the most recent issue features a showdown between thor and odin and for those of you who are more familiar with the film version of odin uh comic odin is a dick comic odin is one of the worst people just not as like writing the writing for him is always great but as a person he is an awful despicable person and in this most recent issue, him and Thor have a lot to hash out, and boy do they hash it out. So definitely pick up those first ten issues, and pick up the next issue on March 20th. And before we get to number one, I do have some honorable mentions. Uh, First up, we have West Coast Avengers. Great book, so fun, kind of in the same vein as, uh, as Young Justice, bringing together characters you know in stories that you don't so this also has kind of a parks and rec or the office style reality aspect to it where they have a film crew kind of following them around and taking testimonials as the events of the comic happen so you'll see moments where there's like something big happening in the narrative and it will just cut to one of the members of the team kind of talking about how it affected them so it's fun uh also we have batman just the main Batman title written by Tom King uh issue 50 was divisive to say the least issue 50 kind of kicked off this I don't want to say it's hate but this uh overly uh, this kind of um more harped upon scrutiny for Tom King as a writer and ever since the failed Batcat wedding, uh, Tom King's writing has been under a microscope. So I think when you get to that point, when you get to that point as an artist, as someone who's trying to tell a story, the best thing that you can do is churn out good content and make a good artistic product. And that is what he has done, in my opinion, since that issue. Every issue leading through issue 51, all the way up to where we are in the uh, mid-60s, has been great. Good to great. And I really, I think that in the, again, in the grand scope of the story, we're going to understand a lot of the choices that were made. Uh, another book that I have in my honorable mentions is Miles Morales' Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales is now a household name thanks to Into the Spider Verse, the Oscar award winning Into the Spider Verse. And this book, which was released around the same time as Into the Spider Verse, uh, really maintains that feel. A lot of times, the uh, tough thing about writing for Miles is that you don't want him to come across as just an African American Peter Parker. And I think the most, this run that has been written by Saladin Ahmed, who absolutely crushed his black bolt uh maxi series last year really gives you that urban feel that sets miles apart from peter and with as popular as miles is right now it's still to this day the most popular episode the most listened to episode on the podcast is the into the spider verse review Um, miles is definitely a character that you want to get in on the ground level with and i believe we're only up To three or four issues so far so it's a perfect time to pick those issues up and get into it Uh, we also have Old Man Quill Old Man Quill is uh, a comic that I will admit I didn't I wasn't excited for when I first heard about it Uh, Old Man Quill is continuing on the Old Maniverse I guess with uh, Old Man Logan Old Man Hawkeye Uh, there's talk of doing an old man punisher kind of continuing that wastelands universe so um it's hard again when you take that same kind of uh premise and apply it to different characters because it eventually it feels like you're telling the same story but this one feels different this one does feel different uh, i've heard people describe it as uh, mad max in space which i think is a great call uh we've also I kind of liken it to an old like an old school western story where the uh, retired outlaw is found by his old gang and roped into one last job. So I think you should definitely pick it up. Another book I think you should definitely pick up is The Flash. The Flash with Joshua Williamson has been consistently the best book out of Rebirth that is still ongoing. Uh, The content has never slipped. I think the uh, book started off strong with the Godspeed arc and has continued to be one of DC's strongest outings since then. So I definitely think that it's a book that you should be picking up, especially with all the things that have been going on in Barry Allen's life when it comes to the greater DC universe. Uh, both with the stuff with Wally, with Bart now coming back, with the possibility of Jay coming back soon as well. We've also... Uh, all the stuff with in Crisis, um, his crossovers with Batman and Doomsday Clock and Rebirth. He's definitely a character that you want to keep an eye on when it comes to the greater DC universe as a whole. Uh, another book on the honorable mentions, Uncanny X-Men. Uncanny X-Men uh, got me back. They got me back with uh, just focusing on two characters, Cyclops and Wolverine. Uh, They are leading the charge once again, both characters who have been dead and out of Marvel Comics for quite a while now, but they are back. They are rocking their old-school 90s uniforms, and they are leading the charge in kind of a uh, Black Ops-style team uh, against the greatest threats to mutant kind. So the main... You know, roster, the main cast of X-Men has kind of been pulled off into the Age of X-Men alternate reality uh, event that's going on there. I personally prefer this. This is a smaller, uh, more focused story, and I definitely think you should pick it up. And finally, we have Detective Comics on our honorable mentions. Detective Comics is on fire right now, ever since it flipped over to the uh, creative team of peter j Tomasi, one of my favorite writers and possibly my favorite modern day uh, superman writer um as well as the art of doug monkey who is always incredible and the two of them have been killing it on detective comics on their road to detective comics 1000 which comes out next month so um this book has been fantastic so far the most recent arc has been dealing with uh, Batman and his past and kind of how it affects him psychologically and any kind of those dark stories that delve into the psyche of Bruce Wayne I always find really interesting And for those of you who are fans of the Arkham universe, Detective Comics 1000 is going to feature the comics debut of the Arkham Knight. And they have promised that this is a new character. They have promised this is not Jason Todd. We will see. But um, Jason Todd does seem to be doing his own thing in Red Hood Outlaw. He just recently came back to Gotham to kind of... uh, kind of take the black mask or penguin route where he is essentially trying to take over Penguin's criminal empire. So we'll see where that goes. Again, I don't think Arkham Knight is Jason this time around, but we've been lied to before. However, I do have faith in Tomasi and Monkey as a team and they're gonna be on the book for the foreseeable future as far as I know. So that is my honorable mentions, getting those out of the way, but now we are going to the number one comic that you should be picking up in 2019, and that is Doomsday Clock. Now I know what you're thinking. Whoa, wait a second, that sounds familiar. Isn't that the book he had as number one last year? And indeed, it is. Um... I'll get into why that is in a little bit, uh, but Doomsday Clock is written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank, and we will uh, jump into the synopsis. The synopsis, uh, I've been kind of pulling them from the synopsis from the first issue of each of these five books, but for this one, since I already did the synopsis for the first issue on uh, last year's episode, I'm going to give you a more uh, up-to-date synopsis per se. So uh, here it is, the synopsis for Doomsday Clock. The critically acclaimed series by master storytellers Jeff Johns and Gary Frank reaches its most shocking chapter yet, when the DC universe collides with its greatest threat, Dr. Manhattan. But nothing is hidden from Manhattan, and the secrets of the past present and future will rock the very foundation of the DC universe so uh, this is a case of different year same pick this is my number one book and it is still my number one book Um, why is it especially when uh, we talked in our very first episode how it is only supposed to be uh, 12 issues and it has been 12 months since uh, the book came out, and I believe when I initially did this uh, did this list for last year, the first and second issues had already come out. And that is because uh, there have been some heavy delays for Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock initially was supposed to be, I believe, 10 issues, but they stretched it out to 12. And then um, they went from a monthly book to a bi-monthly book. So they went from every month to every other month, uh, effectively making it so that it would not end on time. And then the most recent issue, issue number nine, I want to say was delayed an extra month or two. And it has uh, really, really slowed down interest in the book, which sucks because this is consistently the best DC book right now. This is, quality-wise, from an art standpoint, from a writing standpoint, from a narrative standpoint, this is the best DC comic that is currently going at this time and has been consistently through its entire run. Uh, This is an example of masterful masterful storytelling. Uh, They really took the... Uh, general feel, general tone of the original Watchmen, written by Alan Moore and kind of uh, injected some modern flair into it and have really made this one of the most satisfying reads every issue that comes out uh, every issue reveals something more. Every issue teases more of the promise that DC Rebirth originally made. We, I'll be honest with you, I don't really know where DC Rebirth is. DC Rebirth seems to have gone away. The idea of hope, the idea of bringing, uh, bringing back old continuities, the idea of everything... Mattering has really kind of fallen by the wayside recently. And unfortunately, a lot of that kind of weighs on the shoulders of the delays when it comes to Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock was supposed to be the culmination of Rebirth. At the end of the run of Rebirth, the DC Universe was supposed to have caught up to the beginning of that story. And because of the delays, it feels like at certain times, uh, comics have had to... Add in filler to kind of either uh, pad it out to so that they can get to that point later or have completely veered off course and gone a different direction so um, That is an unfortunate side effect of The delays with this book. However, the delays have been have mattered because the book again is Consistently amazing every single issue brings in a bigger spotlight every single issue compounds upon how good this story is uh every issue gets better every issue as you're fed more of the information with every issue you are it is consistently blowing my mind every single issue um and it's there they're not enough there's not enough time in a single episode of a of this podcast that i could devote to talking about how good this book is and you know what i might make that a thing when this full uh run is done when all 12 issues have dropped i might do a full episode just on doomsday clock alone if you would be interested in that feel free to let me know at geeksplained pods at Geek Explained pod on twitter uh you can also send me emails i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but this book is incredible this book has amazing art gary frank is churning out some of the best work of his entire career this is seminal this is hall of fame worthy art by gary frank and the writing is no slouch either jeff johns who has gotten a lot of flack for his hand in the dceu uh in titans all of this stuff you see that he has really put his heart and soul into this book and it shows so um yeah. I will uh I will gush about this book forever, I think. This book has been so good. This is the number 1 book that I think you should be picking up in 2019. Uh it's supposed to go until July. I think it's still kind of sticking to uh now that we've gotten to this point, now that we've had those heavy delays, I think it's going back to monthly and it's supposed to kind of wrap up in June or July, but uh, I'm crossing, crossing my fingers. So the next issue is uh, issue number 10. We're in the home stretch here. And it will be released on April 10th. God willing. <laughs> so one month away. Uh, gives you plenty of time to pick up the first nine issues. Do yourself a favor. Pick those up. Enjoy them. They are incredible. So that is it for my countdown. The top five comics that you should be reading in 2019. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed looking back through these books, doing uh, some required reading to make sure that I was up and up on my stuff. And I've consistently enjoyed reading all of these books as they've come out. Um, No book is perfect, but I really do think these are worth your time. If there is a book you think that I should pick up, if there is a book that you think should have made the list, feel free to let me know. Again, on Twitter, through email, however you would prefer to reach me and let's get that conversation going i love getting uh responses from you guys i love having conversations with you so i'm really excited to uh continue this conversation and talk about comics so that is it for the main stuff of this episode uh stay tuned for the weekly review where i'll be talking about the most recent episode of doom patrol and then following that of course is uh this week's comics countdown And following that is a very special announcement about the next series that I will be doing on the podcast. But for now, let's jump over to the weekly review. And here we are at the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where we are reviewing something every week. So uh, right now, the focus on the weekly review is Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol, the uh, newest live action series, newest original series on the DC Universe app. Uh, This is going to be a review for episode four titled Cult Patrol. this is weird, <laughs> and I know I, uh, I've been pretty much saying that the whole time when it comes to Doom Patrol, but that's what Doom Patrol is. It's weird, and uh, this is an interesting episode. This episode kind of feels like a detour from the usual formula, a magical detour, if you will, because the Doom Patrol, our plucky heroes, and I say that, I use that term loosely, Um, are not dealing with the uh, overarching uh, Mr. Nobody slash uh, Niles Calder mystery right now. They get a little bit of help from a chain-smoking, gritty British sorcerer, and it's not the one you think. And they are going up against a cult, the Cult of the Unspoken, So, I was really interested to see what happened with this episode, and um, it did not disappoint. This is a prime example of how weird uh, Doom Patrol can get, and this is, you can tell, very heavily pulling from the uh, Grant Morrison run. And this, I think, is interesting, because this episode does introduce uh, the kind of supernatural detective Kipling played by the incomparable Mark Shepard who appears in Everything and Anything and uh, he's basically a Constantine knockoff. Uh, He is a chain-smoking, really uh, grizzled and bitter and cynical uh, old-school British detective who uses magic. And he is the most blatant Constantine ripoff that you have ever seen. And there's a reason for that. This is an actual character in the original Doom Patrol comic, in Grant Morrison's run. However, he has an interesting history because he was created solely because Grant Morrison and DC Comics, or Vertigo at that point, could not get the rights to... Hellblazer John Constantine. They wanted to use him. They wanted to make him a a, uh, supporting character in the cast. They wanted him to be a prominent role in the Doom Patrol run that people regard now as the best Doom Patrol run ever. However, they could not get the rights for him. So what did they do? Grant Morrison dreamed up a Constantine analog. He is basically everything that Constantine is and a tiny bit more. Uh, this ver- this character, at least the Mark Shepard version of the Kipling character, is much more schlubby. Uh, you could tell he doesn't really take care of himself. And his magic is interesting and very different from Constantine's. Because he uses a lot of, not just like pop culture stuff, but he also uses a lot of household items. Which I thought was fascinating. And they really got to have fun with him Casting these spells using you know like floss sriracha like all this weird like household items So I really liked that Uh, What I really liked about this episode also is that this feels like a shift in the narrative direction of Doom Patrol and what I mean by that is that this feels like they are less focused now on moving on moving backward looking at people's pasts, being weighed down by their pasts, and they're more focused on going forward, on moving forward, not just as a team, but as a family unit, being able to help each other out, being able to step into those roles that Niles Calder always saw them as. So this episode is really interesting, dealing with um, the cult. I am always fascinated by cult stories and stories that involve anything having to do with cults. So having our uh, our team, our heroes, going up against a cult was fascinating. And this is the prime example of Cliff Steele, Brendan Fraser's robot man, just being completely lost in the shuffle he is so lost in the events of what's going on he I, I feel like his um I feel like his catchphrase now is just what the fuck what the fuck out of at everything everything that happens he's just He's so just blown away by everything that happens, and he's so lost, and I love it. I love dropping him in those situations, and it makes him a really compelling and fun lead to drop in weird situations like this. But the star of this episode, the one I think t- r- took the ball and ran away with every scene she was in, is Rita Farr. Rita Farr, Elastigirl, Woman, whatever they're going to end up calling her, went through a narrative metamorphosis in this episode she was fantastic she uh went from being kind of the wet blanket that everyone was okay with accepting at the beginning of the episode to really taking the stage and really taking charge of not just Uh, Her own actions, but her narrative inside of the team. She's the one that talks the, uh, I guess, the chosen one, the gate, the uh, tattooed occult boy off the ledge. He's about to try and jump out of a window to kill himself, and she ends up talking him down. And really taking charge in the situation going forward. So I'm really excited. This is also the first two-parter, technically. Technically. Uh, in, the se- in the season so far uh, The first three episodes you can really kind of watch on their own They are uh, kind of self-contained stories, which I like They have an overarching um, story But each episode is a contained story in itself And this is the first episode that ends on a cliffhanger So I'm really excited to see part two this Friday um, I definitely think you should pick- you should check this out And it's it's a really interesting look at uh, a lot of the interpersonal relationships. We get a lot of um, Robot Man and Crazy Jane in this as well. We get to see three, I want to say three of her personalities all in one episode, which is great. So definitely check this out. So that is it for my uh, weekly review of Doom Patrol episode four. Uh, catch up on the episodes if you hadn't, if you haven't yet, on the DC Universe app, and uh, definitely check out the newest episode this Friday. But for now, let's jump over to this week's comics countdown. I'm, I I gotta be honest, I'm really loving these transitions. I worked hard on them, so I'm hoping I'm hoping they come across right. so um welcome to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where we count down the top comics that i think you should be picking up this week uh you are getting an episode chock full of comics that and comic recommendations and recommended readings uh this is a segment every week where i will be picking out Typically five, sometimes more, sometimes less comics that you should be picking out, whether you uh, pick it up at the local comic book shop, whether you do it on Comixology, uh, any of the online apps or the uh, Kindle apps. Just definitely make sure you pick up at least one of these books this week. I've got... I've actually got... I, I want to note this down in the history of our podcast we actually hit our number of five comics this week Uh, typically we'll go over sometimes very rarely we'll go under but this was exactly five to pick up so um of course i will be giving you the title the creative team as well as a brief synopsis and unlike the main part of this episode every book that i recommend here will be accompanied by a synopsis voice if you have a synopsis voice that you think i should try out on a book for this segment feel free to let me know what the voice could be or should be and i will definitely try it out uh feel free to leave comments uh wherever you happen to be leaving or wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast or feel free to reach out on social media through email as well so first up we have the batman who laughs the grim knight number one this is the sole dc book for this week and it hurts me it pains me to say that but um dc just doesn't have a lot of books that i'm overly interested in right now that are coming out this week so uh this is the the lone ranger if you will this is being written by scott snyder and james Tynan the fourth two of my favorite batman writers with art by eduardo riso and covers by jock so uh we'll jump into the synopsis here Ripped from Batman's greatest nightmares, the Grim Knight is his world's most dangerous vigilante, unafraid to use any weapon and go to any lengths to stop those who he deems worthy of death. Trained with the finest arsenal Wayne Money can buy, learn the secret origin of the second deadliest Batman hand-selected by the Batman who laughs to bring his dark plans to fruition. So yeah, uh, Super Dark, this is basically uh, Batman Punisher. Uh, And this is kind of spinning out of the idea of what if Joe Chill dropped the gun after he shot Bruce's parents. So this is another great uh, kind of reimagining of Batman by Scott Snyder and James Tynan IV. So again really good the art by jock just on the covers is incredible and the art by eduardo riso has been really good anytime that i've seen him on a book so definitely pick this up if you're into or you enjoyed dark knight's metal if you enjoyed uh the current batman who laughs book this is definitely something you don't want to miss Next up, we have another new number one, that being the Magnificent Miss Marvel number one, written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Minkyu Jung. Jung. Uh, this is another great uh, kind of young urban hero that's being written by Saladin Ahmed, who seems to be just unable to do wrong here. So I'm really excited. He's been, as we said earlier, just kicking ass on uh, Miles Morales. And I'm excited to see... Uh, miss marvel kamala khan having some of those jersey sensibilities with this story we'll jump into the synopsis here miss marvel is back all new ongoing series from eisner award-winning writer saladin ahmed but it's not business as usual in jersey city aliens are wreaking havoc in kamala's corner of the world and they seem weirdly interested in miss marvel and her family Eisner Award winner Saladin Ahmed and rising star Minkyu Jung take the reins of one of Marvel's most beloved new characters. You don't want to miss this shocking start of a new era. So yeah, uh Miss Marvel, great character, one of the I would say one of the greatest new characters to come out in the last 10 years. So uh, definitely pick this up. Again, Saladin Ahmed can't go wrong with his writing. And uh, I was a big fan of Ming-Kyu Jung's art on Nightwing and her short stint on Batgirl as well. So definitely pick this up. Next up, we have Dead Man Logan number 5 of 12, written by Ed Brisson with art by Mike Henderson and uh, covers by Declan Shalvey. This book... Dead Man Logan has been fantastic. This is the swan song for the Old Man Logan character. Uh, Every issue seems to get better, and I am so excited about just this book. This story, this character has been so beloved by so many people, so much so that it spawned the movie Logan. So uh, we'll jump to the synopsis here. Five fingers of death. Sin and Miss Sinister have Logan in their clutches, and they won't be happy until his corpse is picked clean. Plus, the fate of Mysterio revealed. So yeah, this book has been really good. Basically, uh, old man Logan is dying. His healing factor is fading. He's already lost the adamantium in one hand and one set of claws. And uh, I, I feel like... I might be wrong, but I feel like he's already lost vision in one of his eyes. So he is literally falling apart while he tries to uh, kind of direct the future of the Marvel Universe away from his future. So definitely pick this up. Though if you are interested in his future, his time, The Wastelands, definitely pick up Old Man Quill number 3 of 12, written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill. Uh, This book has been great so far. The first two issues were really nice. Uh, As you heard in the honorable mentions, this is one of the books I think you should definitely be picking up this year. Um, This is telling a new story, a team story. The Guardians of the Galaxy are back, older I don't know about wiser, but definitely more disgruntled, so definitely pick this up. Uh, Here's the synopsis. Back in the saddle. Peter Quill and the Guardians of the Galaxy make their way through the wastelands. But even as they try to help the Earth's downtrodden, the shadow of doom hangs over their every move. Their only hope? A valuable weapon that may or may not have been forgotten on Earth. So yeah, um, this book, or last issue, saw the crashing of the old-school Guardians ship, so they are officially in the Wastelands. Um, I think we now know that this takes place after the original Old Man Logan story. Doom has kind of filled the power vacuum that occurred because of Old Man Logan killing the ruler of the u.s red skull so it's shaping up to be old guardians against dr doom and we'll see how that goes but for our last pick we are looking at modern day and we are looking at winter soldier number four of five written by kyle higgins with art by rod reese uh this book has been so consistently good it is scary how good this book is um I'll jump, we'll go ahead and go into the synopsis, and then I'll talk about my thoughts after. A face from the past returns at a pivotal time in RJ's deprogramming. But is his return too good to be true? Or is Bucky just being paranoid? What lengths is he willing to go to to keep RJ safe? An issue filled with shocking choices. So yeah, um, that's kind of teasing something dark, really dark. Uh, spoilers for last issue. Uh, at the very end, RJ, the new uh, kind of kind of Hydra, kind of not Hydra assassin sent after Bucky, and kind of Bucky's new uh, sidekick to be. His dad showed up. So um, this is going to be interesting because we know that. RJ was essentially brainwashed and was taken away from his family but we don't know what happened to his family following that so I am really interested to see what happens and uh, just interested to see what choices Bucky is going to be forced to uh, make in this issue this book has been so good Uh, this is the penultimate issue next issue issue number five is going to be the end of this miniseries and I am hoping there have been a lot of campaigns for this to become an ongoing with kyle higgins and rod reese just going off with the winter soldier and i would be totally okay with that kyle higgins wrote one of my favorite nightwing runs and rod reese's art is incredible so um if you want to see this become an ongoing if you are interested in the ongoing stories the life and times of bucky barnes definitely pick this up pick up the other issues and definitely pick up next issue as well And that is it for uh, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we go, I wanted to make a special announcement for the next series that we are doing with this show. Our previous series, our very first series in the podcast, was the Kingdom Hearts Retrospective, which ended up being super, super well-received, and I really appreciate everyone's feedback on that. Our neighbor's dog was even a big fan of the Kingdom Hearts Retrospective, as you can probably hear but um, yeah I had a great time with that series and this series is going to be almost just as daunting this series is going to be entitled MCU Ranked that is right in the lead up to Endgame every week we will be ranking the MCU films from worst to best Uh, Endgame releases on April 25th let me double check that Checking out my calendar. Uh, yeah, April twenty fifth of um, ah, it's so close but so far away. So uh, every week we'll, we will be giving you the uh, the slots, the rankings of each movie I went through a painstaking list of ranking every MCU film and it was incredibly daunting but after rewatching almost the entirety of the MCU with just a couple films left to go um, it's been so fun kind of looking back on the history, the legacy the 10 years of Marvel films that we've been able to enjoy and nerd out about and really get to celebrate. So we will be going from uh, 21 all the way down to one, uh, small groups each episode. Next week we are starting with uh, numbers 21 through number 18, and then every week after that we will be going by threes. So definitely check that out, I'm really excited. Uh, Next week, like I said, number 21, 20, 19, and 18. it's, it's going to start off a little slow, but as we go through, I think you might be surprised by some of the picks that I have. Uh, I will not lie to you, some of the picks even surprised me. But after re-watching these films, it really uh, put into perspective exactly what this whole mcu has been about the first three phases have been incredible and i'm really excited to relive the history of the mcu with you all but that is going to be it for today's episode look forward to that next week uh look forward to continuing coverage of comic book news of the weekly review this week in comics or uh, this week's comics countdown rather and uh yeah look forward to more in Volume 2 of Geek Explained. Our second year is going to be our biggest year yet, and I'm excited to go on the ride with you all. So, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.